Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to The Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, host of The Schmooze. Today's episode is part of a series of conversations with Yiddish Book Center's Zomlers, volunteer book collectors. To celebrate the Yiddish Book Center's 40th anniversary in 2020, we're looking back at the Yiddish Book Center's storied history. As part of this effort, we wanted to share interviews with our Zomlers, who have been and played a crucial part in helping us to rescue over a million books in the last 40 years. In Outwitting History, Aaron Lansky, founder and president of the Yiddish Book Center, recalls the early days of book collecting. There was a dynamic to our work. The more books we collected, the more word spread, the more books there were to collect. By midwinter of the first year on the road, it was clear that the immigrant Jews had been more avid readers than anyone imagined. Yiddish books were scattered in virtually every city in North America, and there was just no way that we, a handful of young people with extremely limited resources, could collect them all on our own. We needed help, so I decided to organize a network of Zomlers, volunteer book collectors, who would gather books in their own communities and ship them to our Massachusetts headquarters. People signed on all across North America. Some were elderly, others were young people who didn't speak a word of Yiddish, but they were all grateful for the chance to act, to do something practical, to reclaim a culture that was disappearing before their eyes. As Aaron writes about that history, we just want to say how grateful we are to all of our Zomlers, past and present, for their work helping in the rescue and recovery of Yiddish books over these 40 years. To date, we've rescued over a million Yiddish books, and we continue to receive thousands every year, both shipped to us directly and shipped to us through our network of Zomlers throughout the country. We're delighted to be able to share some of their stories here on The Schmooze. Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to The Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Jack Hirschberg. Jack is one of the Yiddish Book Center's amazing Zomlers, a volunteer book collector. Welcome, Jack. Thank you. Welcome to you, too. So um, thank you for letting me catch up with you. Uh, we are going into our 40th year here at the Yiddish Book Center in 2020, which it is now, and we thought it would be fun to connect with some of our Zomlers who are located here, there, and everywhere and do um, such heroic work to help us continue the work of rescuing the books. So I'm curious, how did you even hear about the Yiddish Book Center and our Zomler program? Uh, it was an accident. Uh uh, down in Florida, I have some friends who live not far from Amherst, and there's a book, a book buyer who lives in Amherst, and they both told me about it. Uh, when, I heard, uh, when I heard about it, I was, became very excited because uh, Yiddish was my mother tongue. Uh, well, I guess it still is. And I was very excited about the project. By the way, muscle tough on the anniversary. Thank you, and muscle tough to you and all of our members out there who made all of this possible. Uh, it's it's very exciting. And so, what about the Zomler program excited you? I mean, it's a it's a commitment. You got to connect with all these people, ship the books, box the books, etc. Well, actually, uh, uh, collecting the books uh, in my garage and then 
Uh, I don't ship them, but when we get a large amount, like the last time I had uh, 4,000 books, uh, I fill up a van and I drive down to Amherst. Uh, and uh, they help me unload it. What makes it exciting is just the idea that uh, the language is being preserved, uh, that all this wonderful literature, which is really uh, the culture, is being preserved. And uh, I, I have a vested interest in it because uh, once my parents passed away and most of my, uh, their friends passed away, I really have nobody to use my Yiddish with anymore. So this is my way of giving back. Um, well, it's much appreciated. And I remember meeting you when you drove the van. You arrived with your wife, Linda, and you had a van that was quite full. <laughs> was it your first visit to the center? Yes, it's the first. And actually, this was the only one because uh, we sort of cleared out Montreal for now. So uh, there isn't very much in the way of uh, books being brought. I have maybe four or five. But there are some... Uh, Yiddish book collectors in Montreal who don't want to give them up yet, but eventually they will they will have to give up their libraries. And then we're probably looking at a much larger collection than 4,000. And you're certainly situated in a place, um, Montreal, which had a very vibrant Yiddish community um, and the surrounds. You know, there was the, there still is the uh, Jewish Library of Montreal, which, as you know, we have the archival recordings of all of the amazing programs that went on there that um, we've remastered and have on our website. And it was sort of a who's who of Yiddish writers um, in the heyday. And it was a community that had, as I say, um, a rich history of Yiddish speakers and readers, etc. I wonder how that helps in terms of the kinds of donations that you get and the access to Yiddish books, which are still in private collections or also with organizations? Well, uh, as you probably know, uh, Montreal had the largest uh, number of post-Holocaust uh, immigrants. And uh, as there is still a very large uh, community left. I mean, uh, they're elderly. And most of them only spoke Yiddish. And uh, most of them were quite literate and quite uh, good poets and writers, and they, they, they produced a tremendous amount of works. And uh, a lot of them, especially some of the elderly ones, have roomfuls. I mean, I went into one person's house, and it's almost like a hoarder. There is not an inch of floor space, not an inch of walls that it doesn't have Yiddish books on it. And eventually, these individuals will have to donate the uh, material to someone, and I imagine it will go to the book center. In, in Aaron Lansky's book, and Aaron Lansky, um, for listeners who are not aware, Aaron is the founder and president of the Yiddish Book Center, and he wrote Outwitting History, which really sort of recalled the early days of the founding of the Yiddish Book Center, and he recalls a lot of the book rescues that he actually did in crazy trucks that sometimes broke down. Um, and he recalls the sort of stories of the encounters with the individuals and how meaningful it was when they conveyed the books to the center, knowing that their books would be rescued and preserved. 
have you had that similar experience in some of your work? Uh, yes, absolutely. I know, uh, um, unfortunately, I, I'm terrible with names, but I was with this one woman who's still writing. She's in her 80s, and she's, she just produced a series of volumes. And when I came into her house, uh, she was anxious to sit down and just tell her stories and go over it in Yiddish. She, again, she doesn't have that many people to speak Yiddish with anymore. And when, when she, I told her that the books were going to go to the book center, all she asked for in return uh, was a letter from the book center saying, yes, we really appreciate the books. And that made her day. She, she was ecstatic to get that letter. And when you visited the center, were you surprised by what you found? Was it what you expected? Actually, I was not. Uh, it, it wasn't what I expected. I expected some uh, dingy little uh, storefront uh, phenomenon with uh, books piled up. I was truly, truly impressed with the quality of the setup, with the uh, collection. I, I, I was surprised at how well the collection is preserved, how it's cataloged, and the educational programs that you run there. Uh, I was absolutely amazed. I'm a university professor, and I was really, really impressed with how you are teaching people about that rich culture that is still viable as long as we preserve it and teach it. Absolutely. As we say, we are, you know, we working to regenerate the culture. Um, and it's made possible by the fact that we have the literature that's been rescued. And are there any surprising finds you've had along the way? Well, no. Uh, not, well, yes, I should say there was a couple of books on uh, children's books on children's music. That one was really, really something because uh, looking through it, it had the, uh, it had the notes and the, uh, uh, and the uh, lyrics. And I, it, it sort of made me flashback to when I was a child and I could see myself on my father's knee and my mother, my father couldn't sing. They paid him not to sing. <laughs> but my mother used to sing all of these songs to me. And I still recall the voice, you know, uh, Weizmann Professor and all of the, and uh, often Prippetschul and so on. And there it was in writing and I like to play the, uh, either the violin, the clarinet, or the piano. And so I sat down and I started playing some of these things. And it was like returning back to my childhood. It was really an amazing experience. Wow. So you really grew up in um, a home where Yiddish was spoken, read, um, and enjoyed. Until I was the age of six and started uh, public school, I did not speak a word of English or French, only Yiddish, with my parents. And as I grew up in the home, all we spoke was Yiddish. My parents were uh, picked up a little bit of English along the way and no French. So Yiddish was still the primary language between us and all, all of her friends. And even with my friends, we only spoke Yiddish until, oh, I'd say I was probably in grade four or five when we started to assimilate somewhat. Uh, but it was always Yiddish. In fact, Yiddish is so ingrained in my head that uh, my wife uh, doesn't speak any Yiddish, not a single word. And when we were dating and when we got married, when she was in the house, I was speaking Yiddish with my parents, 
uh, my wife would get frustrated because she's standing there and she doesn't understand a word of what's going on. So she would tap me on the shoulder and say, Jack, please speak English so I can understand too. And I would apologize profusely and say, you're right, dear. And then without thinking, turn to my parents and continue in Yiddish. And uh, it almost led to a divorce, but we finally <laughs> worked it out. Well, she seemed to be a very willing and happily, a happy companion traveling with you to bring the books to the center. So there's some connection there. Well, for her, it, it's her, her mother and father were American originally and grew up in the, in, in, in the States and then in Canada. And for them, Yiddish was something that their grandparents, their parents spoke. So it was Linda's grandparents that spoke it. And she remembers them speaking uh, Yiddish to their parents, but she never picked it up. And so for her, it's sort of a reminisce of her Bubby that she loved, the great Bubby that she loved. Uh, when her great Bubby became elderly and developed Alzheimer's. Uh, she reverted back to Yiddish. She didn't speak any English anymore. And Linda and the family really appreciated that when we went to visit her, I could do translations so that Linda still got to know her Bubby uh, through me, as opposed to just seeing someone with Alzheimer's. And did you ever sort of... Um have the chance to meet any of the writers or be part of that Yiddish community of cultural producers, as it were? Uh, only one. As I said, the, uh, this one lady that is now in her 80s and still writing. All the others were at their heyday when I was too young to really understand what was going on. Uh, I mean, I, I moved around in that community because we all lived in an area called the Plateau, which is where the whole Jewish immigrant population lived. And I, I can still go back, and I know where uh, you know, the writer's home was. I know where the original Jewish public library was, along with the Jewish Y. And my house was about four blocks from, the, uh, from most of the writers because they all lived on, uh, on one, uh, one or two streets near the Herzl Clinic and, the, uh, and Mount Royal Park. And I used to walk there because that's where, the, where you went to the Jewish Public Library. Uh, that, when I was uh, you know, four or five years old, I was reading Yiddish books, Yiddish children's books uh, at the Jewish Public Library. So I didn't, never got to meet them directly, just indirectly through their writing. Wow. And can you imagine your, what your parents would make of all of this? Uh, that it's all being preserved? Yeah. Uh, I don't know how, to, uh, how they would react because I think it would be sort of a bittersweet uh, situation because for them it would mean, uh, yes, it's being preserved, but it's also being stored like Latin and Greek for them because it's no longer uh, something that you would hear on the street. It's no longer something that was spoken in the stores. Uh, I mean, when I grew up, what did we read in the morning? We, my father would pick up the Kanada Adler or the Forvitz, and we would read it. This was our lives. Nowadays, the, even the Yiddish newspapers are in English with maybe a, a little piece of Yiddish. So I think it would have been a bit, bittersweet loss for them. And do you remember some of the children's books that you read? 
Oh, good Lord, no. That's a tough no. question. <laughs> that, that, uh, unfortunately, I have trouble remembering where I'm going when I get up in the morning to go to the bathroom. So going all the way back to childhood would be tough for me. And do you, do you still pick up a book and think about reading through? Oh, yes. When, uh, when, I, when I get the collection or I get books, I, I go through some of them I, I still find interesting, uh, especially the uh, ones that uh, write about the, uh, what life was like in, uh, in, in their home staples. Or uh, the one, uh, for instance, there's one that uh, in the Pack and Traeger this month, there's a story of Gofarb. Mm-hmm. And I have a copy of that diary in Yiddish. My, Mrs. Fifecup, who was one of my mother's friends, somehow got hold of that diary because she was at the camp with the, uh, with the Gofarb. And she gave me a copy of that. And that was fascinating to read, that someone in the camp had such memories to write and was able to write them down. Uh, so I went through that. There was a lot of poetry and so on. It, it was difficult because, of course, I mean, uh, uh, I rarely ever read or wrote in script, and this was in script. I'm used to writing, you know, reading in text. But uh, that was fascinating. Sometimes I would look at a children's book in Yiddish and try and go through it. And that, but that's about it. In the 4,000 books that you delivered, um, do you know a little bit about where they came from? A big chunk of them came from the McGill University uh, Library. Uh, the McGill University had a huge uh, Jewish studies program, which was very heavy on Yiddish uh, and the Yiddish culture. Uh, now, unfortunately, because the population of uh, students for the Yiddish studies has decreased drastically to the point where it's no longer an independent studies program, but it's part of modern, uh, part of language programs. Uh, so they had this huge collection that was gathering dust, and a big chunk of it came from there. Another big chunk came from the Jewish Public Library because they were overflowing, they had no more room. So those were the two biggest ones. And then there was the, this lady that I'm talking about, the uh, poet uh, and writer, whose house was full. She gave up two, I convinced her to give up two or three rooms of books. So uh, there was about, I'd say about six or 700 volumes from there, but there's still probably another uh, thousand to two thousand books in her in her apartment. I don't know how she lives with that, but she still has them. And when you arrived here, you must have noticed that um, in what we refer to as our repository, where the books come into, um, we rescued a lot of books recently. Did you yeah. did you have a chance to look around and talk with our bibliographer or our fellows? Uh, actually, uh, I met uh, your your president, and uh, I was taken on a nice tour of everything. We spent quite a bit of time. Uh, I'm a sort of a techie, so the part that impressed me the most was the area where you have the old presses. Ah, oh, I love that. I wish I wish I could have gotten them working, uh, just to see how they were working. But that that impressed me a lot that you managed to preserve that Yiddish press. Yeah, there, there, are, there are a lot of stories here, <laughs> in addition to the books, um, and how they were made, et cetera, is pretty exciting. And may I just back up for a second and ask where your parents came from? Okay. 
uh, my, uh, well, it's sort of uh, confusing because the town, the staple where they came from, kept changing names depending on which war they were, uh, had just passed through. Uh, the name of the town is Ben, uh, in Yiddish it's Bendin, in Polish it's Benjin. Uh, before that it was called Subkla. And then after, the, when the Nazis took over, they called it Bensberg. So I have documents of my parents under three different cities. And then birthdays in those days was uh, also confusing because they didn't really record things well. If someone would go to the uh, local uh, registry office and record two or three generations at a time. So I have papers of my father being born in 1913 and papers of my father being born in 1914. But uh, they, they were both from uh, Bendin, or Benjin. Uh, they, uh, my mother grew up in Katowice uh, with her father, who was a Rebbe and uh, owned a furniture factory. My father uh, lived in Benjin and became a master tailor there. They were each married and had children. But unfortunately, when the Nazis came, they carted my father off to uh, Matthausen, and his uh, wife and child were sent to Auschwitz and, uh, and perished there. My mother was sent to uh, Auschwitz, and, uh, and she was moved around to a few other camps, uh, and her husband and her son were also perished in Auschwitz. Uh, they met after the war and started over again. And um, it's a, there's an interesting story because my mother was uh, one of the ones who was sterilized by Mengele. And after the war, when she became pregnant uh, and we were in a DP camp, uh, they, uh, the German doctor said that she, she can't possibly be pregnant. It must be a tumor and they need to operate. And uh, my mother said, I'd rather die rather than have a German doctor touch me again. Uh, which was a good thing because nine months later the tumor was born, and that was me. Well, Jack, you certainly um, have a lot to bring to your work as a Zomler um, and a deep and rich history and association. So, again, thank you so much for the work that you do and for being part of the work that happens here at the center. It's it's really important, and without all of our Zomlers, we would have many less books here. And without the books, the culture will die. Because uh, even when you translate those books, yes, it, it's a worthwhile thing, but the Yiddish language is a Yiddish culture. Once it's translated, it's, it's nice, but it's not the same. So preserving what you're preserving is the culture, not only the language. Well, I do hope that you'll be able to come back and visit whether or not you have boxes in tow uh, and come spend a little bit of time with us, and you'll have a chance to talk to some of the staff who can speak in Yiddish with you. I'd love it. Yashikov to all of you. All right. Thanks again um, for visiting and for everything that you do, and we look forward to welcoming you back to the center soon. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. For more on Yiddish and Jewish culture, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. Today's podcast was coordinated by Sam Brivik and produced by Sarah Blakefeld. Be well, 
be healthy, and tune in again soon. Thank you.